but I mean, there's tons that I'm, I'm proud of. Um, I think one of the most unfortunate parts of this is that I don't get to kind of try to finish what I started maybe eight years ago with a bunch of guys and the, the mission. And I think we, we turned around a franchise. I think we turned around an organization. We raised the bar here. Um, and, and sometimes I even fell short of the high standards we've set here. And I'm okay with that because I'm proud that there's our, there are higher standards here. And um, I think this is a very classy organization throughout the league as viewed as that way. And uh, part of me likes to think I played a part in that. Um, but definitely proud of the, the three straight division titles. Um, not telling what's going to happen here down the stretch. Um, World Series run. I mean, just the group of guys I got to play with throughout all of that. Um, some of the teams that we've had and the connection we've had to the community. I think there's there's loads to be proud of. Those are the words of Jason Kipnis, who may have played his last game as a member of the Cleveland Indians. Welcome to the latest episode of the Selbius Godcast. Zach Meisel here. TJ Zuppi here. What's going on, TJ? Happy to be here in person, sitting next to you for one so I can gauge your reactions when I say something stupid. I, I can see if your your eyebrows go up in anticipation or shock or you frown and I realize I've said something completely stupid. It's great being able to see your face. I, do I have expressive eyebrows? Sometimes. I feel like everybody. I, I, I don't know how you would hide your eyebrows from expression. How would that be possible? You walk around covering your eyebrows? Is that the most expressive part Botox. of your body? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Botox would be the answer if you would like to hide your expression. It's kind of like covering your mouth when you go to the mound to talk to the pitcher. You would do that to hide uh, your emotions. Aaron Savali said when he came out of the game on Tuesday night, he thought Tito was coming to give him a handshake for pitching into the eighth inning, but Tito just wanted the baseball. And so Savali like made an awkward <laughs> yes. one of those, almost like you want to just fake the handshake and like push your hair back behind your ear. Um, a quiet guy, Savali is, but uh, there's some personality there. We're slowly starting to ascertain. That. I have that slow moment, moment of panic every time I talk to somebody, even somebody that I've known for a long time. I don't know if I'm going in for the bro hug. Are we going in for a straight hug? Is it a straight handshake? Are we, are we, are we fist bumping? I mean, what are we doing? And I spend at least 10 seconds before actually greeting that person wondering what it's going to be and then I just panic myself into three of those at once and it never ends up being very smooth. It gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so we, we have a lot to talk about. I mean I, we, we want to get to Kipnis. Do you want to start with Kipnis? We should start talk about the Indians Kipnis. where they stand, the wild card race, Tito watching Madam Secretary. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. We thank everybody for listening this week courtesy of Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher. Google Podcasts, wherever you happen to listen. And we do thank those that support the podcast over at Anchor. If you'd like to support the podcast, haven't mentioned it for a couple of episodes, but again, if you'd like to keep this thing rolling every single week and you'd like to contribute to that, you can contribute to the podcast by finding the links at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, or follow the actual show at Selby is Godcast on the Twitters. Well, let's start with Kipnis. I mean, he's out for the season. He's got that finicky hamate bone fracture that... Uh, apparently is not going to keep Jose Ramirez out for the entirety of the season. As he's, he's swinging the bat right now as we record this. Out on the field, both sides of the plate. Ridiculous, this guy. Um, but yeah, he could be back as soon as 
I would think they'll ease him in, maybe a pinch hitter first, then maybe a start at DH, then... But, I mean, we could be talking about, like, less than a week. Like, And I know there's only 10 days left of the season, but I think we're talking, like, early next week, maybe. Can I say one thing that's not related to the Jose Ramirez timeline? Mm, I guess. Which we're totally speculating about, by the way. Something we love doing on the show is just speculating recklessly. Reckless speculation. Um, I'm sorry, I stole that from another show. I do enjoy that baseball gives us this weird window into injuries that don't necessarily happen in real life. Like hamate bone. Where would that happen to anybody <laughs> else, right? What If you worked just taking care of regular patients, like my wife does. My wife is a nurse. She, I, I mentioned the hamate bone. I said uh, Kipnis is probably his Indian's career is likely over because he's got the, the hamate issue. Same thing as Jose Ramirez. My wife looks at me like, what are you talking What's the hamate? What, what are you talking about right now? And because we get that really small window of things that we know, where we're talking about tendons and arms and Tommy John surgeries, and it's just this 1% of these procedures that take place that my wife would never encounter in the real world, it gives me just a small feeling of, I know what I'm talking about. Like I, I actually know something that you don't deal with. You're in the medical field, and I know about this, and you don't. It just makes you feel super smart for like 0. 0.6 seconds. Yeah, like the hamate bone, <laughs> oblique muscles. Maybe <laughs> yeah. like uh, what's if for people who cover football, they probably know a lot more about that tendon under the foot, like the like the Liz Frank. Or oh yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, or like turf toe. <laughs> it's just like is that a thing anymore? I don't know. Well, no one has turf. They all play on fake grass. And there's these injuries are kind of in vogue where you see an injury for like three, four years, and then it goes away. Have you ever seen anybody suffer from knee bursitis in a long time? Because no. I used to well, play they're like fads. It's like, I used to play Madden 97 and every other player would have knee bursitis right, and would like, return in the third quarter. Knee bursitis was trendy when beanie babies were trendy. <laughs> and then those all went away. Furbies came along and Liz Frank injuries came about. Like okay. that's how it works. So Jason um, Kipnis, yeah, so, like, how do you evaluate his tenure? Let's start with this, because people have been asking me, like, he's been speaking in such a definitive tone, especially this week, about this. This is not new. I mean, he, I had conversations with him in spring training where he was like, this is a contract year. I know I'm not going to be here. He knows the Indians tried to trade him the last two off seasons. I mean, we've reported on this podcast, like, first of all, we all knew about the Mets trade talks two years ago. We know that the Indians were just testing the waters to see if other teams might be interested in taking on Kipnis' salary and a second piece to sweeten the deal a little bit this past winter. Obviously, none of that materialized, so he's still with the Indians. Um, but he's he's even said this week, like, look, the Indians aren't picking up my $16.5 million option. Like, they're going to cut him a check for the $2.5 million buyout, and then he's a free agent. And so, yeah, is it possible that the Indians keep him here for another year or two on a, a reasonable salary? Like, that is not impossible. But the way he talks about it, the way he's talked about it, at least to me, all season, is that's a tiny, tiny, tiny percent chance happening. And that's not even to consider the Indians' stance on this, which is they probably don't want to commit any money to someone his age who has not 
been a league average hitter for a few years. So where do you stand on one, his future, because he certainly thinks it's elsewhere, and two, kind of his legacy in his nine seasons in Cleveland? I don't know what the future holds for him. I mean, is he someone that's going to have to sign a minor league deal with an invite somewhere? Uh, might that depend on the how good the team is that might be? Like, could yes. a team that's not in the race maybe sign him to be a stopgap for a year before a top prospect comes up? I mean, that's possible. But you're seeing so... I mean, take into account the team the Indians are getting ready to play tonight. They're getting ready to finish up this series against the Tigers. And I guess you can make a case they did that with Jordy Mercer this year. Or they just You mean their number five hitter? If they just find a veteran to, to plug in there, I don't remember. I would have no reason to know what Jordy Mercer signed in the offseason to get him to t- Detroit. Uh, but there are so – in years past, you would have more of that. Teams now don't give a shit if they're, they're – that the Orioles, the Tigers are not hiding it. They're playing a lot of young kids, and they're not going to shy away from the fact that they're trying to lose games, despite whatever the manager in the chair might be saying publicly and whatever the front office is saying publicly. So it we need probably it probably is going to be more difficult for a guy like Kipnis to find a guaranteed job or guaranteed money. And I, I don't doubt he'll be playing somewhere next year, but how – the means in which he's going to get there is going to be, um, I, I don't know. I have I have no way of of knowing exactly who would get who would fit the bill of what you're talking about of giving him guaranteed money. I, at this point, I think it would be difficult to do that now. To kind of reflect back on his career well, here. Well, before we get to that though, what's funny about this topic is that. A team that, like, maybe your only hole is second base and you need a stopgap there before you have a prospect who's coming up to join your infield. The Indians are that team, aren't they? <laughs> like, it would make – because people have asked me, they're like, I don't understand it. He said his price wouldn't be too difficult to meet. The Indians have a need there. Um, and I would agree with you completely if he hadn't been so absolute in how he's talked all year about this. Because they could use a stopgap for a year before Nolan Jones arrives, right? True. Uh, it just the fact that the Indians... The fact that they're already paying... They're going to be paying him the buyout already. You're already committing money to him. But they're going to give him an opportunity to go see what he can... Because they're not going to give him anything guaranteed. I can't see them really giving him... No. Uh, you know, uh, the one-year, five, six, seven million dollar deal... I I just don't see that happening right now, knowing what we know about this franchise and how, uh, f- unfortunately, they're they're so into pinching the pennies around the the edges. So, I I, I don't know. Uh, do does it make sense for it to continue? I guess on some level, because like I said, they are paying him, but they're going to give him every opportunity to go out and see if there's a different job available for him. Yeah, I would put the odds on him returning at five percent. And I think in, in his case, he's he's going to want to go out and try to prove the Indians wrong for letting him go. And I don't, I don't think that's a terrible thing for him to to to, to think. That's why they call him Chippy Kippy. <laughs> as far as his career here, though, statue or no statue, <laughs> half a statue. That would be which half? <sighs> I don't know. Whichever one would be more terrifying and more fitting for Halloween. <laughs> Would it just be the top half coming out of the ground? Zombie Kipnis. Like a Kipnis mermaid? 
Um, it's unfortunate the last three years went the way that they they did because from 15 to 16, he had really uh, kind of cemented himself into a very, very solid place in this organization. And the last three years are just going to leave a, a bad taste in your mouth. And some of it's injury-related, some of it is aging-related, and probably some of it is related to stuff we don't even know about it at this point. So it makes it it makes it difficult in the moment to kind of evaluate the the career on the whole. But he does strike me as somebody that years from now comes back, 10, 15 years from now is going to be held in a favorable light. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody kind of needs that grace period to kind of step away and get away from everything we've seen in recent years. But pe- what people are going to remember about him is kind of what where that nickname the the dirtbag nickname came from I, that's what i think people will remember remember him playing through a lot of injuries and being uh what you would call a tough nose kind of guy someone that almost helped this team win a world series people will remember that foul ball forever in the world series uh more than likely the fact that he had a huge game four in that world series hit a couple of home runs right in that game with his buddies heckling him in the stands who Diehard um, Cubs fans. And, or, or him hurting his ankle as he was celebrating going to the World Series. Yeah. I mean, he that started... Thing was nasty, purple. <laughs> oh, um, he started on a team that just didn't look like it had any direction. And he was part of a team that, um, over the past few years, some really became one of the, the top organizations in baseball. I don't say that's all directly related to him. I'm not even sure it's majority related to him, but he was definitely a part of it. And I think he's one of those guys that, like I said, 10, 15 years from now, when he's here to throw out a first pitch or when he's in town to sign autographs, I think people will flock and remember all the the good stuff. And I, I think he'll be held in a favorable light. Yeah, you know, I've always appreciated his honesty. Um, and over the years, he's become more and more self-deprecating, which is helpful because he he's just realistic like he's not he doesn't he's never sugarcoated anything like the good traits of trevor bauer what made working with trevor bauer um good kipnis shares those like a really thoughtful person just someone like he seems like a, a regular guy he just has the talent to play baseball and earn a lot of money um, and just like anybody can get in moods where yeah. it's, it's not easy to deal with. And Kipnis was a guy that always just kind of wore whatever emotions he had right there on the externals for everyone to see. So it wasn't a surprise, you know, when he would be uh, upset. You know, he he wasn't someone that you questioned whether or not he, he had any caring for whether the team was, was winning or losing and, and how much effort he was putting in on a daily basis. Well, and Clevenger told me... You know, they're going to miss having happy Kip or mad Kip in the dugout. Because <laughs> I've heard, and, and you know, I, I said out loud yesterday, I don't I might have been talking to Andre not, and I'm like, the guy's made, I don't know, $50 million, and he's got a restaurant he just opened in Columbus, and like, he's young and he's healthy, and it's like, if I were him, I would just retire and instead of trying to grind out spring training and make a team, and I would go vacation in tropical places and go to Vegas and check on my restaurant and just enjoy life. But I'm also not a professional athlete with that competitive drive flowing. And 
I heard he still, even at this point in his career, like barks at opposing pitchers from the dugout and will like <laughs> yell at them and, and challenge them and give himself motivation. So it's it's tough because he said he definitely feels like he still has something in the tank and he wants to keep playing. Um, but he even said, you know, back to the honesty thing, like he was like, you know, I made a couple all-star games early in my career and I had some good seasons and he was all, almost a victim of his own success. It's hard to sustain that. And when you go into each season saying yourself, having the manager say, you know, he's going to come back with a vengeance, he's got something to prove, when you do that year in and year out, like, it's not always going to work out your, in your way. So uh, he he set a standard that was difficult to sustain, especially as he had injuries, especially as he got older. Um, and so it's I think for some people it's just hard to remember the player he was early in his career back when he was – taping the Jerry Kipnis show, <laughs> goofy stuff like that. Yeah, and probably learned some lessons just like we all do about ourselves every single day. Um, there is one thing I'm completely sure of is that any insult you've hurled his way on social media, and probably even some of these hurled back at fans throughout the years, it's nothing that he hasn't felt and thought. And, right. Uh, well, and he used to read every social media mention. Yeah. Every, after every game, he used to go to his Twitter. I mean, that's another that's another through. case where he's probably his own worst enemy. He yep. he he's probably beaten himself up three times as much as any any person watching at home has over the way that he's played over the past three years. This is clearly clearly not the way he wanted this this uh, this conclusion to go with the Indians, and it would have been a great story if he could have somehow you know turned it on down the stretch and and found a way to to help this team limp to the finish line. And make noise in the postseason. It would have been a great turnaround story for it to end that way. Unfortunately, you don't don't always get the the great fairy tales. Uh, one, as he laid out. Yeah, one thing I'll remember, and I'll give him credit for. For almost a decade, the Indians did not have a second baseman. Well, Ronnie Belliard held down the fort for a couple of years, but other than that, it was just like one guy after another just rotated at that spot. And when Kipnis arrived, that that changed. So, from the time Robbie Alomar was traded after the 2001 season to the time Kipnis arrived 10 years later, let's play a game. How many second basemen, how many players do you think started a game at second base for the Indians? Give me the time frame again. The start of, 20, uh, of 2002 until okay. Kipnis arrived in July of 2011. Okay. So, nine and a half seasons. How many people started a game at started second base? Started at least one game. Uh, I'm going to guess 21. All right. I'm going to take the way over. But let's go through this list. Ready? Let's start with Bill Selby, our boy. 2002. Anything to say about Bill Selby? I've uh, never heard of him. <laughs> to quote Greg Williams, who? Uh, <laughs> Greg Williams, Jesus. Uh, Brandon Phillips. Yeah. Remember, remember him? I, I have some recollections. Remember yeah. who they traded Brandon Phillips for? Uh, Relief pitcher from yeah. the Reds. Uh, it's, his name's just Jeff me. Stevens. Yeah, that's right. John McDonald. He started a lot of games in 2002. Uh, Ricky Gutierrez. Another injury. He might be starting games back here at second base. Ricky Gutierrez is four. Greg LaRocca. LaRocca, yeah. LaRocca started one game. That's five. 
And Holbert Cabrera started a couple games there in 2002, our buddy, friend of the podcast. So that's six players in 2002. You a little nervous already about your uh <laughs> It's prediction? six in 2002 alone? Yeah. All right, 2003, you had Zach Sorensen. Who could forget that? You had Angel Santos. Remember uh, anything about no. him? No. No, I don't even remember. Some more Brandon no. Phillips. A lot of Brandon Phillips. Some more John McDonald. So through just those two seasons, that's nine different players. Okay, well, at least we slowed down considerably in that season. Ronnie Belliard held down the fort in 2004. Played 148 games. But Lou Merloni uh, made five of Former random inning of the day, Lou Merloni. Right. Did I count that right? Is that 10 or 11? That's 11, right? Yes, 11. All right. Alex Cora okay. joined the fray in 2005. So did Ramon Vasquez in 2006. From Vasquez to Vasquez. You're mixing in now. <laughs> Multiple people named the same. Jose Hernandez. Remember him? Yes, I do. So that's 13. 2006. This is where it gets good. Joe Inglet. Hector Luna. And that was Belliard's last year. So in the next year, Josh Barfield as Drupal Cabrera, Chris Gomez, Luis Rivas, Mike Rouse. Your boy. And we're at 21. Well, thank God we're almost done. Not quite. 2008, Jamie Carroll, Jorge Valandia. Do you have any recollection of him? Other than his name? On no. June 29th against the Reds, he started one game for the Indians. This would have been a great random Indian one day. Seven games with the Indians in 2008, three hits and eight at-bats, 944 OPS. Should have played the rest more. of his stat line. Stat line. <laughs> 2009, Luis Valbuena, Bruce Drennan's favorite player. Tony Graffanino. What are we at? Is that 25? 25. The next year, Jason Donald, Mark Grudzelanik, Jason Nix. Hi, you know what Grudzelanik is spelled backwards? Drew Sutton. Ooh. Played 11 games for the Indians in 2010. Uh, I mean, you have the proof there by looking at the baseball reference page. but And Anderson Hernandez. Again, you, you have the proof that I just have to believe what baseball reference is telling me right now. So, 2011, Adam Everett joins that, the fray. Is that 31? That's 31. Cord Phelps, 32. And then Kipnis debuted Friday, July 22nd. And three days later, had his first hit, a walk-off single to right field that Torrey Hunter just tossed into the stands, <laughs> not realizing that might be something Kipnis wants to keep. Sandy Alomar watched it happen, exchanged three baseballs for it, got it back for Kipnis, and the rest is history. How many was that, 31? Uh, I think, yeah. 30? I don't know. We're in the 30s. Okay. Anyway. So I, was, I was way off. So, yeah, a lot of second basemen. A dark time. Kipnis ended it. But who knows what's going to happen now. Yeah, it can we be. We see Arroyo, Chang, 
Flaherty, Freeman. Let me keep going. The list goes on and on. Velasquez again. Yeah. It it um. Again, this is why it is difficult to do this in the the now because what's going to stick in your mind is everything that happened over the past two three years, and the numbers aren't pretty. He never hid from that, by the way, and I give him credit for that. He's calling himself out for, you know, how poorly he has played offensively and how that's not up to his standards, and it certainly wasn't what the Indians hoped when they signed him to the contract and they thought he was going to be around until this part of his career. Uh, so, yeah, you don't get the, the great ending. Um, you know, one of the interactions that sticks out to me is after one of the the post games, and the, the one Kipnis quote that that I'll remember is when he, he said that he always liked to play just well enough to keep us away, <laughs> but not so good that we go over to talk to him. You got to play somewhere in the middle so that we just don't even notice you. Um, and unfortunately, the last three years didn't really cross that threshold. But well, he, he still jokes about that, though, because there was a day, might have been in Kansas City this season, where he homered. And he joked that while he was rounding the bases, he thought, ah, oh, damn it, I'm going to have to talk to the media after the game. <laughs> Uh, and I, and don't, I was like, well, I don't you know better. That, that happened. Don't do that then. <laughs> I really don't doubt that that happened. Um, but I, I remember one of the – after one of the exchanges, he had mentioned to one of the reporters, you know, just making light of the fact that we were talking to him after he was being horrible. And and the reporter pointed out, you know, we're here, we're here for stories. And how great of a story would it be if we're over here talking to you because – You've turned it around, and this is, you know, you playing very well. That's the that's the better story to tell as opposed to how uh, Kipnis had another bad year, another down year. The the more fun story is Kipnis turned it around, and he helped his team get back to the playoffs, and uh, we rediscovered and, and saw glimpses of what he was so so good at doing in fifteen and sixteen, and and before that even too. But those were the two years that really stick out for me when he was just at the peak of uh, of what he of what he was offensively. And that's pretty much the case with all, you know, we, we talk all the time about what as reporters and writers and things that we're rooting for in different situations, how that changes from in, in your youth, when you're rooting just for wins and losses, you, you just see the game through a different prism. And that, that was that to me, it kind of fully uh, put all that together where it's like, man, yeah, there are times where you're talking to players and I think most of us, Unless it's something really brutal that really makes for a great story, like the and it's not great for Chris Davis. But if you're going through like an O for something stretch where it's like, okay, this is historic, and you're still not really rooting for that to happen, but it does make for something to write that's somewhat interesting. The more interesting story is typically the guy turning it around, and and you kind of get into the bottom of how it happened and why it happened, and all the great things that it leads to. And that was kind of the case with Kipnis, where it's not like. I'm not sitting there going, man, I wish his OPS would rise because it's, it would mean great things for the Indians. I'm thinking, wow, I wish his OPS would rise. I wish he, he would play to the level that he used to because it would be great to see his career end in a way that you can not only just wait 10 to 15 years for all the, the past two, three years to kind of wash away and you can remember his career fondly, but just to be able to do it in the now and, and kind of give him the credit I think he deserves for the career that he did have here. It's funny because his first line yesterday was, it's not the ride off into the sunset you hope for as a player when you've been with a team for a long time. So, I mean, he's he's aware. He's got as much self-awareness of any player I've ever been around. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, like, the whole rooting for the story thing, and this is going to be a really good transition. This is why I'm pointing it out. Um, 
I'm gonna put my feet up. I'm gonna so, wait for this one. Take a sip of coffee. So as we as it stands now, uh-huh. like I don't want to jinx the Indians tonight, just because I don't want people in my mentions saying Meisel jinx, you suck, move to Alaska. But uh, if they beat the Tigers in the series finale with Mike Clevenger on the mound, they'll be tied with Tampa. Both teams with nine games left, and they'll be a couple games behind Oakland. But there's a chance, and if you look at the schedules, like I think it's very reasonable to say the Indians might go like, if they beat the Tigers tonight, maybe they'll go six and three in the last nine. Does that sound right? Phillies, White Sox, Nationals. Uh, I, th- I think you have to. Ex- that that has to be the bare minimum. I think at this point, I, I just don't know what the Nationals are going to need. Yeah, well, their their race is coming right down to it, isn't it? In the the wild card in the the National League, yeah, like they're in good shape, but who knows? But and my point is, like there is a realistic chance, and it's not fifty fifty, but it's certainly not zero that the Indians and Rays tie for the second wild card. All it requires is the teams to have the same record over the last nine games. That can happen. It could. The Rays play yes. the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays. Um. Not the easiest schedule, but, you know, the Red Sox are not as in it as uh, Boston fans would hope. So, point is, if that were to happen, the Indians would go from D.C. Sunday night, Mm -hmm. fly to Tampa after the game. I'm writing down your itinerary right now. Uh, This is where I'm going. If they were to beat Tampa, they would fly from Tampa to Oakland. They'd have a workout day in Oakland. Then the next day, play the wild card game. And if they beat Oakland, they would fly to Houston or New York, whoever's the one seed. After that, you could be in four cities in five days, five cities in eight days. And that's a pain. That's a chaos. That's what all. It's madness for the team. But for the reporters who have to follow oh, them. Oh, boy. Here we go. And you, like. To have to fly to Tampa Hold Monday on, let me morning. Get this violin out. <laughs> Hold on, but this is I'm I'm relating this back to the Kipnis thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, if they have the tiebreaker game, you won't know they have the tiebreaker game until after Sunday's games are over. So I would have to book a flight Sunday night. I'd have to cancel my DC to Cleveland flight, book a DC to Tampa flight for the very next morning, find a hotel, and then I have an Oakland hotel booked, but I'd have to cancel that. Because now you don't know if they're going to go to Oakland, and you don't want to have to pay for the hotel if they don't end up going. So you have to then wait until if they beat Tampa, then you book, rebook a Oakland hotel, then you have to find a flight from Tampa to Oakland. Anyway, point is that you wish that writers still traveled with the team. Oh, yeah, like that the would old be days. so nice. But I was talking about this nightmare scenario with our Twins writer Dan Hayes, uh, our good buddy, last week. And I'm, like, stressing out over these scenarios and what should I book now? Can I book anything now? When do I pull the trigger on all this? And I'm stressing out and I'm saying, God, I hope this doesn't happen. And he's like, no, you should root for that. Root for the chaos because it would be so much fun to chronicle what a nutty week that would be. And so I have gone from, like, I'm not saying I'm sitting there in the press box rooting for the Indians to lose. I'm more so just rooting for a simple schedule. But now, bring it on. Bring on the chaos, bring on the madness. Um, and like you said, we root for stories, and now I'm rooting for what would probably be the most bonkers week. Now, they'd have to beat Tampa, they'd have to beat Oakland, but 
Uh, things could get very interesting. And the segue here is that now we can talk about the Indians and where they stand and how they got here. Wow, the that was floor a really is yours. long way to get around that. If that does happen, and you get to write the story on it, and it does really well, you, like the Indians, can send a giant, massive fruit basket <laughs> to Detroit for allowing that all to take place because the Indians have just obliterated, I mean, just annihilated the, the Tigers this year. It, it makes it almost impossible. I know you got to pull it up. What's the run differential between these two teams? 109 to 38. It makes it damn near impossible to remember the days when this was the other way around. And it seeing Miguel Cabrera as just the shell of himself, a guy that I, I think if he were still on a good team might be better than what he has been. But just to look at the rest of that contract and thankfully think about, he only has five more guaranteed years or four more. Think about the you remember when we used to have this conversation like in 2013, 2014, where one of the the alternatives to him just beating your brains in every single time he faced the Indians was fans wanting them to just walk him every time he came to the plate and you're thinking yeah but that creates a 1000 on base percentage that can't be great but then you'd also think about it and go yeah but all the times he hit one out of the park it made you at least consider it stop for a second he was that great of a hitter and now just watching this unfold where he is it's not fun to watch um but i mean just the entire picture of between these two teams again the indians can thank If, if they do make it into the postseason, they can thank Detroit for that because they're doing, I mean, yes, they're doing what teams in the East have done to the Orioles all season long, but to just have this level of dominance over one team, regardless of whether they're tanking or not, you're still talking about players that have elevated themselves to major league level, and the Indians, for for as wide as the talent gap is between these two teams, the Indians still haven't been at top strength all season long. And they've just blitzed them. I mean, just destroyed them. Is this? Can you think of a single that wasn't set up like a WWE jobber match, which someone is just putting somebody else over? Can you think of just a matchup between two sides that's just been this one-sided, where you go into it almost just expecting not only a win, but it's almost surprising. It almost feels slightly like a loss when the Indians are having to go into extra innings to try to fight and and in tooth and claw their way to a victory like they did last night with with Puig's walk off. I mean it's it's like Ohio State Rutgers. It's like a a big Ohio State Michigan. Big school, yeah. A big school against a you know, it's Ohio State Akron. It's Ohio State Kent State. It, it's Alabama against Chattanooga. It's that's what it feels like. Um the Tigers still owe Miggy $124 million over the next four seasons. What What's his stat line going to look like in 2023 when he's 40 years old? Okay, yes. But how long do they actually live through this? Because there's – you are paying him, yes, but what just is the point? Go home. Where's where Where is the line where you just say to a player – and people have asked this about Albert Pujols too – where the fact that you are playing him and he is worth – X amount of wins below replacement level, why would you shoot yourself in both feet? <laughs> you got to pay them, okay. Because they're tanking. Well, it makes sense now, but I'm saying years from now, yeah. is there going to be a point where he's going to be occupying DH at-bats where they could be playing somewhere else? You make this case with, with Los Angeles, with Anaheim, 
where it's like Shohei Otani should be playing regularly at DH and no one should be getting in his way and putting Albert Pujols at first base shouldn't be the the other side of that. So where is the line? I mean, how bad does he have to be before you just walk? How many years can you just say that's, that's, that's it? I don't care that we're paying you or not. We're still sending you home. We're still cutting you. You're out of here. Well, he's only, what can you live with? He's only 191 hits away from 3,000. So it would be cool to see him get there. Yeah, I mean, we're not at that point 25 homers yet. from 500. Uh, he's going to have quite a resume, but it's also going to get a lot uglier, um, I would think. Because four years is a long time. I'd understand if he had one year left and they were like, hey, take your $30 million, but just go live on an island. Like, I'd get that, but four years is a long time. How much of a boost... This has nothing to do with the Indians, so... People are like, well, I don't give a shit. But how much of a boost do you think he would get from if he just moved to a good team? How much of this do you think, and this comes to the human element where I think anybody in this situation, I mean, hell, we're seeing it with the Miami Dolphins right now, uh, where you're just on a bad team. And yeah, you're getting paid and you're a professional, so you should be going out there giving your all. But these are also humans we're talking about, and your focus is not going to be 100% on when you just get your brains beat in every single night. So yeah, I, would would he be a how much better of a hitter could he be if he was in the thick of a good lineup in uh, fighting for a, a wild card or a playoff berth? It's a good question. I don't know the. I mean, I don't know. Right. I mean, we should have him on the podcast. There is and no ask him. correct answer. There's no way for us to know. Even he wouldn't know. You wouldn't know until you actually just put the guy in that position. Can we do a little rapid fire? Sure. You have to answer just immediately. No. No expounding on quick answer ready potato salad who is your ideal indian starting pitcher for a wild card or tiebreaker game mike clevenger okay who would you rather face in a wild card game tampa or oakland this is rapid fire and i'm failing i guess tampa who would you rather face in the division series yankees or astros yankees what'd you have for lunch today uh what did i have for i didn't eat lunch Okay. What are we going to have for dinner? I have no idea. I went and got this haircut. That's why I had to look you know, pretty when I came to sell you. Okay. Well, I don't think we should do a random Indian of the day because I had never heard of Drew Sutton and Jorge Valandia played for the Indians apparently. and <laughs> Yeah. That's all that's, I got. That's fair. Um, you ever watch Madam Secretary? I have not. Terry Francona does. Binge watching season four right now. But he said he fell asleep, so how good is his watching habits? Uh, my wife loves that show. And, like, Sunday nights... Is that a CBS show? Well, it's, yeah, and it's funny because it's, it's on during the fall and the winter, and it's on after 60 minutes. Well, everybody knows 60 minutes is always delayed on Sundays because football games never actually take three hours. <laughs> Except for those on the West Coast. Right. So she will sit down... Shout out to all of our <laughs> listeners in California. She will sit down on the couch, turning on Madam Secretary at 8 o'clock, I think it's supposed to be on, and be so disappointed that not only is Madam Secretary not on, but, like, 60 Minutes isn't even on yet. And it's, like, <laughs> over time of, like, the Chiefs and the Chargers or something. And I'm and like... And you have your DVR set for just the specific time. <laughs> right. I'm like, huh, that's not going to be on until, like, 10.30. You got to do the, oh, we'll extend end time, 30 minutes, an hour... Now you've got an hour of the local news afterwards taped. Yeah, I'm sorry. First world problems. A big pain in the ass. I'm binging American Horror Story. I've never watched it before. 
And, you know, every year there's a different premise. Are you familiar with American Horror Story? Not enough. You love the supernatural scary stuff, don't well, you? Well, I do, yeah. Uh, one, we'll have to have Mandy Bell of MLB.com on the podcast at some point because her mom is super into the paranormal. And yeah, she was they went me, to the, yeah. uh, the hotel from The Shining yeah. in Colorado Yeah, she was week. telling me about that experience. Uh, Jordan Bastion, formerly of this beat, him and I went to the uh, the Zach Baggins Haunted Museum in Las Vegas during the winter meetings. See, I'm there's nothing much... else to do in Las Vegas, so <laughs> you might as well go to a museum. It was the first night. We're waiting for shit to happen. Um, you know, we we all can't just stumble onto planes for waiting for three way trades to happen. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I'm binging that. I'm like into season three, and I'm told season three isn't as good as the first two. But I, I really love season one. Season two is good, too. See, I do that stuff in the off-season. Because during the season, I just rotate, like, Friends, Seinfeld, well, that's Office, just like background noise, Mother, isn't it? Basically. Well, because I'll come home from a game, and I'll be, like, yeah, half asleep already anyway. Yeah, you don't want to start a 45- to 50-minute show. Right. Like the Selby's Godcast. We thank all of you for listening. Any parting words for our, our listeners this week? And being at the end of the season, we're just... Uh, our normal schedule of particular days is completely off because we never know when things are going to happen and when playoff berths might be wrapped up. Or I'm know. excited for the off-season of this podcast, though, because it, there, there won't be an off-season. I think we have some ideas and uh, ways we can maybe make this doubly worth your time. Yeah, even for those that uh, help support the podcast, and we do a little something extra for them. Oh. Selby is Godcast after dark. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> what would that be? It would just be us whispering sweet nothings into the phone? Joe Inglet. <laughs> uh, well, until we get there, we hope everybody has a good rest of the week. And hopefully your travel plans don't like anything like Zach Miles. Yeah, I'm not rooting for them to lose. Just I want to make that clear. I never was. I'm just, let's bring on the chaos. That's the title of this podcast, isn't it? You know well enough that I picked the title. It's the one thing I get to do. Until next week, we're out of here. See ya.